Let's pray. Father, I do thank you earnestly for this morning, for your goodness to us, to your people, for your work in our lives. You are such a wonderful God, powerful Lord, sovereign in control of everything. And we need you now for this class to make it profitable to us. Lord, help me to speak that which is true to your word and glorifies you. And at the same time is helpful to uh, your children, even to my own soul. Lord, you know how these things have benefited me, and I just pray that they would benefit all of us. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, evangelism. So, when you hear evangelism, what's the first thing you think about? Anyone? Preaching on the public square on a box. Yes. Okay. That's, that is a good one. Anything else come to mind? Billy Graham. Yeah. Billy Graham. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's good. Anyone else? Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort. <laughs> okay. Awkward conversations with people. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. I would say, especially with me, that was like the dominant thing. Becoming a new Christian and like, oh no, I have to evangelize people. And it was like, everything was always so awkward, you know? And I'm like, okay, this something, something's not right here. Um, yeah, so can we, any other examples of evangelism? What are some ways we can evangelize people? Any thoughts? Just preaching on the box? Anything else? Yeah, just in your interactions. Yeah, handing out tracks, right? Basically, what we do on Saturdays is uh, I try to keep it very conversational, you know, so that we just approach a person or two or a group of people and start a conversation about Christ um, it, with, with the intention of sharing the gospel and telling them the way of salvation and to urge them to believe in Jesus. And that's basically what evangelism is, right? The word itself comes from the word, the same word for gospel. Um, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, even helion or something like that in Greek. Yes. But it literally just is like the ING version in English, gospeling. Okay, that's what evangelism, how it's translated. It's just gospeling. But it carries the idea of declaring good news, right? And preaching the good news. And so it's using words. It, it could mean to bring good news, right? But the whole idea of behind evangelism is, is telling with our mouths the good news. So that's a few things, right? We have to preach. It's not just actions, although this message is primarily on our actions. Uh, and we'll go over that. But it's far more specific than just, you know, being nice to people and letting them see your life and hopefully maybe, you know, somehow they become a Christian, which that's not really supported in scripture if it stops there. But it is supported that our actions are extremely important um, and, and do have an impact on the effectiveness of our message, right? So... My hope is to give overarching guidelines and principles with our actions, as I believe the scriptures do. And when we go through these verses, you'll see what I'm talking about. I think the Bible really just gives us 
principles of wisdom. It gives us specific commands to follow as well. But, you know, there's no way I could possibly cover every single circumstance and situation you're going to encounter with somebody when you're evangelizing and sharing the gospel with them. Um, you got to just take these principles, apply them into your life, and God will renew you and transform your mind and give you wisdom and discretion to know how you ought to answer each person, right? So that's that's my goal here with this. And, and I want to show you something that maybe you've thought about and maybe you haven't. Um, I know for me, it's super simple with what we're about to do. Um, and you would think, yeah, wow, like I can't believe that, that that's a... I should have done that before, but you'll, you'll see. Maybe you have done this. I don't know. Okay. And also, let me just say, we got to keep a balance, right? So this message is on the necessity of personal holiness to be used in soul winning, right? It's a necessity to be holy, to be effective for God. Yet at the same time, we know from the scriptures that man is dead in their sense. Dead is dead. Right? And this is something we're going to go over in the next message. But they have no ability to respond. There's nothing we can do to save their soul. Nothing. And so that doesn't mean, though, that we just say, oh, well, we're just not going to do anything. Right? But we have commands to follow in regards to how we handle the lost, especially, but each other, brothers and sisters in Christ our children, our parents. I mean, you know, it's all over. And we have to follow these commands and take God up on his promise and his word because ultimately it's by faith that we follow his commands. Trust and he will do through us what he's promised to do. So, so there's a kind of living. There are certain lifestyle practices that either hinder or make effective your witness for Christ. Right, And we have this word witness, too, that we get from scriptures in Acts 1-8 when Jesus comes down and he tells the disciples that they'll be clothed with power from on high and they'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so we, we tend to use witnessing and evangelism interchangeably, but evangelism really just gets the idea of communicating the gospel to somebody and witnessing is just your overall life and the witness and every Christian, every person who claims Christ has a witness. It's like, you can't avoid it. You claim Christ. You are now representing <laughs> Christ in every facet of your life. Every action you do, every word you say is representative, representative to people about this Christ whom you claim has dwells inside of you. So, so there's a direct connection that I want you to see in two ways between your holiness, your godliness, your personal conformity to Jesus Christ, and your usefulness to God. And this is primarily in two ways I want us to see. The first one is the connection between your holiness and God entrusting his holy work to you. The second one is the connection between your holiness and the effect, the effectiveness or fruitfulness of your witness to accomplish God's intended purpose with souls, right? And I say that specifically because our purposes may not always be God's, but there's a connection between God entrusting his work to you to partake in, in your holiness, 
and also the effect, effective and fruitfulness of the work entrusted to you based on your holiness, right? Now, first things right away. I know that came to my mind when I'm writing this. There's two pitfalls we have to avoid, okay? The first thing, the first pitfall, that's just an unbiblical conclusion when you hear this, like, okay, if there's a direct connection between my holiness and my use, uh, my usefulness in the kingdom of God, do not conclude that, okay, well, in order to be of any use at all, I just need to be sinlessly perfect. And that is a temptation because you think, well, how ho- I mean, how holy do I have to be before God uses me, right? But the Bible, right, makes it clear to be sinless is just an absolute impossibility, according to 1 John, right? That whoever says he's without sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if we confess our sins then what? He's faithful and just to forgive us. Exactly. And I would even argue with this point that sin, when handled rightly by the believer, is probably one of the most powerful tools in evangelism and being effective with people. Right? Think about it. You're getting an opportunity when you sin and fall flat on your face and God will let you just sin before, especially those who are closest to you, lost family members, friends, co-workers, those whom you see on a daily basis, they're going to see sin in your life. You just, it's there. It's how you deal with it that separates you and confirms your witness for Christ. And it's that genuine repentance that you demonstrate to a lost person is so powerful because they know nothing of genuine repentance. They don't want anything to do with it. Yes, they might feel guilty. Yes, they might feel bad. But when you genuinely come to a lost person whom you have either sinned in the presence of and you're like, oh man, I need to correct what I've said. And you go to them and you say, you know, friend or coworker, I'm sorry. You know, I did this. I was angry. I was impatient and I really shouldn't have been. And it's not what the Bible teaches us to do. I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? Just that kind of interaction with somebody takes a, a, a sin that you might have been angry with them and they could go, oh, see, you know, this guy's angry just like me, whatever. But when you come genuinely repentant, they're thinking, I don't do that. You know, what is that? This guy's actually sorry. And it's funny because, you know, the primary response at least I've gotten from the lost person is they want to tell you, Oh, don't, there's nothing to be sorry about. Like, don't worry about it. You know, not a big deal. What, what they're doing is just showing you where their heart is. They take their sin and they feel guilty about it and they just want to justify it away. It's not a big deal. It's not a sin. There's nothing wrong with this. Just get my guilty, stop my conscience from feeling guilty. And so when you confront them with your sin and you say, this is wrong and I shouldn't have done this. They're like, what is this? You know what I'm saying? But but that is the perfect opportunity to demonstrate in a real life example to them exactly what you're trying to preach to them is repentance. You're trying to tell people through evangelism that they need to repent of their sins. That's an aspect of it. And they need to confess their sins to God and turn from their sins. 
And so when God gives you the opportunity to repent for a sin, don't look at it as like, you know, oh man, this is embarrassing and my witness is ruined and this and that. I'll tell you, your witness is more ruined if you just let it go. If you just let it go, you're never going to get the opportunity that you should have to confess your sin to that person and demonstrate to them the reality of Christ working in your life. And that's a, it is a very powerful thing. And so that is the first pitfall I want us to avoid is thinking you need to be sinlessly perfect. It's not possible. It's not going to happen. And yet to the degree that you are seeking to conform your life to the image of Jesus Christ is the degree to which God will have work for you to do, right? And that's for a variety of reasons. But the second thing that we want to avoid is thinking that your obedience here and you're so holy and you're, you know, you're just doing so excellent. Like you're, you merit God's work and, and he better use you, right? And this, this kind of thinking makes God your debtor. Like, God, I have been so holy. I've been so good. I'm such a good Christian. I seek to conform my life to Christ everywhere. Like, you owe me to use me. And I better be preaching. And I better be, like, seeing soul winning happening all over the place. And and this idea that boasts in a gift that's been given to you. Right? It's like, remember Paul to the Corinthians, I believe? It's like, what? You're boasting in a gift. That was given to you. It's not yours. Don't don't boast as though this is all you being so holy and good as though God has nothing to do with it, right? So, so we can't forget that. The reality of our holiness and sanctification only happens because of Christ's work in us, right? And that gives us much needed, when we really understand that, much needed compassion and humility with the lost, when we talk with them because they don't have that. And of course they're going to be living in a sinful lifestyle and offending you and hurting your feelings and saying ridiculous things. They, the Lord, they're blinded, right? The Lord has not worked in their hearts to sanctify them and get them to see like, Oh wow, what I said was wrong. And I, I probably should be nice in this situation. Like, you know, we ought to be compassionate with them and say, Lord, I've only been given my salvation and sanctification as a gift. And I want that for my friends, for my family members. So I think when we get those two sort of extremes out of the way, when we come to the scriptures and we see how it presents our holiness being directly connected with our usefulness, it gives us a better sense of how the scriptures really make this happen. So, so the first key text for that first connection is the connection between your holiness and God and trusting his holy work to you. That first text, 2 Timothy 2, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. Now that says, Therefore, If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Now, this is probably the clearest text we have in regards to this, and that's why I chose this one. 
2 Timothy 2, verse 21. Yeah. And so this is teaching us, if we cleanse ourselves, some of your translations might say these things, which if you look in context, it's talking about sin and iniquity and dishonor. If you cleanse yourself from that which is dishonorable, you will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So if we abstain from wickedness, we cleanse ourselves from sin, we seek to grow in conformity to Christ and turn from our sin, it's an if-then statement. If that happens, then what happens? It's conditional. You'll be a vessel for honorable use, useful to the master, ready for every good work. Right? It follows simply. And so, uh, this is something too to understand that. This, this is a command for us, right? So, cleansing ourselves is something we must do as Christians. To cleanse ourselves from sin. Not be stained. To, to remain unstained by the world. So, we work with God in our sanctification to avail ourselves of those commonly called means of grace, right? In order to become more and more like Christ. You must work at this. Active obedience, repentance, seeking the Lord in faith. And he will do it. So if you think about the context, it's like this. He's talking about vessels in a house, right? Now you think about that time period. There were vessels that were honorable, used for honorable things, like plates that were silver and gold and cups of silver and gold and things you would use to store food in and keep clean water in. And these were clean vessels. These were nice vessels. I'm sure they had, you know, pottery and artwork that was pretty and used for display. And these are honorable Vessels in a house, honorable pots and pans and things that are good and you would show off and use. Then you have dishonorable vessels. Can we guess what those might be? Trash cans, cans, (laughs) toilets, stuff that you did not want to use for honorable things like serving your guests. You're not going to sit down at a meal, right, back in those times and take the pot that you use for your toilet and serve wine to your guests with it. Right? And but but that's exactly the example Paul is giving here to say how God uses us as vessels. He's not going to take an a, a dishonorable, sinful, full of iniquity person and give them this honorable holy work to do. It just blasphemes his name. And there is a lot of that going on. You do have a lot of people who just thrust themselves into positions that they were never, they should never be in if they would read the qualifications, for, for example, of an elder. Excuse me. And yet they pursue it because, well, you know, it's just, I so bad, I, I, I'm called from God and I have a desire, a strong desire. And yet it's like, wait a second. You've got to be a certain kind of person in order to take up that role and have that calling confirmed, right? So this is giving us the reality that we need to cleanse ourselves from that which is dishonorable to be used by God. And I'm applying this to evangelism, right? 
Because think of the hypocrisy when you're going to somebody to preach to them. Christ. Joy in Christ. Freedom from sin. And yet, you're grieving the same Holy Spirit you claim by walking in sin. And to think they're not going to see that at some point in time, it will be evident to them. And it will just all the more diminish your witness to that person because they're going to say, this guy, Christian, just like every other so-called Christian I've met, and they're worse off than, you know, half the worldly people I know. And we don't want to be like that. We do not want to be like that. So cleanse ourselves from that which is dishonorable. Cleanse ourselves from iniquity. Everything in the world seeks to stain you, right? And I use this example time and time again, but it's not like people just wake up one day and decide, oh, I'm just going to leave the faith and leave my spouse and, you know, get a this wicked job. And it doesn't just happen like that. But these are things in which the world just creeps in and begins to let sin in this way and let sin in this way and distract your time here and distract your time there. And before you know it, you don't have zeal to evangelize anybody. You're, cons- you're so drowning in sin, you can't see clearly to even know what to say or how to handle it. or to. So when we've got to be very careful, what we watch, what we listen to, the people we hang around, all of this seeks to have an influence on you. And if it's a worldly influence, it is not trying to make you more holy. Don't deceive yourself and think, oh yeah, but this is okay. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Give it enough time, even good things that just waste your time and distract you. Don't set your eyes on things of Christ. It doesn't give you a desire to want to go out and and win souls for Christ. I mean, you think about these missionaries. These were people just saturated in God's word, come across a certain promise of scripture and it just propels their life and they get so consumed by it and they do things for Christ, trusting him that, wow, Lord, you've said that I should go therefore to all the nations and make disciples and it just so grips them. And we want to have that sort of mentality about us where we're so consumed in God's word that the reality of the lost world is so real to us that they're perishing out there and they need a savior. We can't just be indifferent. But if we're just watching TV all day or, you know, reading random books and doing stuff all day long and never seeking to really allow God to grip us with this reality, right? So so that's the idea. Cleanse yourself from that which distracts you, from that which is dishonorable, seek to focus then and be a vessel for honorable use. And God will use you for his work. So that's the first thing, right? The connect That verse supports the idea that there's a direct connection between our holiness and God using us and entrusting to us holy work to do. Then the second connection is between our holiness and the effectiveness or fruitfulness of our witness, especially in evangelism with people. And I get those words from uh, 2 Peter 1, I think verse not, verse 8, where he lists those qualities. And he said, if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. 
Well, the idea is if you have those qualities, you will be effective and fruitful. Okay? So, the biggest thing besides that First Peter passage is the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus Christ. And he tells the people and the Beatitudes. Remember in chapter 5? Let's go there. This is an important text. We're going to look at this real quick. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Okay. So here, from verse 3, he gets up on the mountain and he starts teaching the Beatitudes. From verse 3 down to 11, he's giving them qualities of what a Christian must be. Okay, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, verse 13 makes application of this Christian, of this person who demonstrates these qualities to the world. So think about this. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything. The idea of saltiness is just symbolic for the Christian's use in the world, their effective use. Salt is what? It's salty. You use it to salt things so that it brings out the flavor. It has certain qualities about salt that makes it salty. If salt's not salty, it's not even salt anymore, right? You can't use it for its intended purpose. And likewise, the Christian who's poor in spirit, mourns, hungers and thirsts for righteousness, is the Christian who can then accomplish the purpose for which he's on the earth. Does that make sense? So there's a kind of living here that we see that either makes you salty as a Christian or causes you to lose your saltiness. If you don't practice these qualities, there's no saltiness. There's no reflection of God's glory to the world for them to see. Right? And he goes on to say, you're a city set on a hill. Let your light shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify God. Well, if If you're not having these qualities, those good works aren't a light that shine. Okay? So, and you think about that verse in uh, Colossians, and I mentioned this, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each person. See, so how do we know how to answer each person? It's that there's certain salty qualities about our speech. You can't make your words salty, literally, but the idea, right, of salt is symbolic that it has certain things about it that accomplish its purpose. It's gracious. It's compassionate. It's gentle. That sort of speech gives you wisdom to know how to answer each person. Okay? So the the Christian who's not an embodiment of these Beatitudes really can't be used for God's intended purposes in the world like he's supposed to be. And, I mean, think about this. When we're evangelizing somebody, and you're, you just, let's say you walk up to a random person on the street, okay? Something like we do on Saturdays. We go to the student union or the square or whatever. We walk up to somebody, and we want to have a conversation with them about Christ. Poor in spirit. You want to approach this person poor in spirit, yourself. That is, recognizing you have no 
native righteousness of your own. You're not coming to them as some, oh, I have some, you know, I'm better than you and this message is going to make you better. No, you're recognizing this is from Christ and this, this person needs it like I need it. That sort of attitude and demeanor coming to a conversation immediately establishes a kind of relationship with that person where they're like, wow, this guy really has something genuine to tell me and, and he really believes what he's saying. And it allows this person to hear you more so than if you come up arrogant and condescending in your words. That's not going to help a gospel conversation. Blessed are those who mourn, or that is, mourn over sin. Blessed are those who mourn over sin. When, like, like Lot, tormenting his righteous soul over those deeds that he saw in Sodom and Gomorrah, has to be true of us to some degree as Christians, where we look around in the world and we don't get angry. We do not need to be going out to the world, seeing their sin, and just angry at them. Now, I'm not saying, you know, I've, I see that at all, but, but that is just so prevalent in the larger Christian circle. Just upset with people. I can't believe they would say this, and how dare they talk about me there. And I, I can't believe they would think that. I mean, that's so silly. And it's like, what, it, what are we expecting? But it ought to cause us to mourn over these people. To have a genuine, heartfelt, man, I was right there. And I want to help this person. Right? Blessed are the meek. Again, they don't need a prideful person coming to talk to them. But if you come up meek, it allows you to have conversation in a way that you will be able to discern what do I say and how do I say it when these are your guidelines, right? I'm going to mourn over sin. I'm, I'm going to be meek. I'm going to be poor in spirit. I'm going to be merciful. I'm going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm going to show this person mercy. They don't deserve it, right? They absolutely do not deserve your mercy. But we ought to be a merciful people. And that has an effective impact to accomplish God's work in their life through you bringing the gospel. You don't, the whole idea is we don't want to be a stumbling block to people. If anything is going to be a stumbling block, it needs to be the gospel. The gospel ought to be the only stumbling block we put in front of people. It's so important. Our actions can really be stumbling blocks for people. Whereas... We could say, oh, you know, I'm just taking them the word. I'm just preaching the gospel to them and God hasn't saved them. Well, wait a second, right? Did we do it like we ought to have done, like we ought to have done it? So you don't want to be like, an, let's just say, an angry person coming sharing the gospel with people in like a demeaning and condescending attitude all the while thinking, wow, I'm doing such a great work. You know, I'm out here sharing the gospel with people. But I have seen, I, I literally have seen this and have been out with people who have done this. And it's like, I would rather go home at this point, right? This is not helping. And so we need to have a conversation and bring this in and say, listen, the demeanor that we have, the type of lifestyle we live. And these aren't things, mind you, that you can just say, I'm going to go out on Saturday and, and be this kind of person. Or I'm just going to talk to my coworker you know, on Wednesday at work, and I'm going to show them this kind of attitude. And then you go home, 
And you are absolutely not that way with your spouse, with your children, with the people closest to you. It's again, it's just hypocrisy. That's that is not being truthful. That is not being honest with God and with who you are. And that kind of thing, God sees it. Right? And it's it's going to be near impossible for you to to put on a face like that and it not be detectable. Right? So we want to make sure that these are things, this this kind of lifestyle living to be used by God, to just be holy, is something that we seek to do in the privacy of our own time with God and by ourselves. That will bleed out to everyone. Right? That's the idea. You want to be this kind of person at the deepest core of who you are. So you're not having to put on a face. And so that God will grant you wisdom to know how you ought to respond to each person. Right? And it comes through this sort of renewing your mind, being transformed through the word, and then that having an impact on your character, and it changes the whole of who you are. Right? So, let me see. Okay, yeah, we're doing good. Well, let me stop there real quick. Any questions? Is there anything you're thinking, thoughts maybe? Anything? Nothing? Okay. Well, when you do approach me, yeah. you, yeah, there's always the worry. We are all hypocrites. End of story there. But I don't think it's so much like when you approach people that they don't, they've not heard of God. It's more apathy. And sometimes it's apathy in us, too. We're apathetic. And they are, too. That uh, I had a conversation with a, with a student today. There's a girl in my class. She's a very strong believer. And her father's a pastor and everything. And she just raises her eyebrows at some of the things that go on in my classroom. But some kid just flippantly said, well, yeah, I'm going to heaven because I'm, I'm a good person. That's what I believe. Mm-hmm. And so she just smiled. I said, well, I said, well how, how good do you need to be? And what are you basing that on? Well, that's just kind of what I hear. And so I think you battle a lot of that. Um, yeah. You were talking about worldliness, too. Yeah. Worldliness has crept into the church in a lot of ways. You want to uh, evangelize via gimmicks. Mm-hmm. Of absolutely absolutely very true yeah the whole thing with being apathetic is so true too right we want to we want to strive against that at all costs just I think you're right so the, 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 the problem is embracing sin yeah the world is embracing yeah and many of us have embraced it but we allow it or we look the other way and we go soft on it what, what, what is clearly outside the word of God right. we endorse right. tacitly by not saying anything that's absolutely true too yeah thank you brother that's a good point any other thoughts yeah okay so basically just to sum it up I mean Tim summed it up pretty good let us not be apathetic you know, and let us seek to live holy lives so as to not be hypocrites, right? There is going to be sin in your life, like Tim's saying, like to a degree, 
we're going to have sin that needs to be dealt with, but we need to deal with it rightly, right? We don't have to be known by the world, right? Rather that we're hypocrites. You don't, people should not be able to look at you and say, wow, that guy just preaches one thing and does a total another thing. We ought to be people who are holy, have holy lives and, and look like Christ and demonstrate good works to the world such that it makes them think, what? What's going on with that guy, right? So that when you talk about Christ, and a lot of times that sort of them seeing your good works, if you acknowledge, hey, this is Christ in me. It's not me just, I'm such a good person. This is, I wasn't always this way, right? Yet I have sought to conform my life to Jesus because of what he's done for me. Let me tell you about him. So you're taking that opportunity and turning it into something that deflects the glory from you back onto Christ, right? There's a way now if people say, wow, that's such a good person, that the world who tries to be that way does it for their own glory, right? But as Christians, we ought to be people who take that and give the glory to Christ as a perfect opportunity and an entrance into, let me talk to you about what Jesus has done for me and what he's done for you. And we can begin to share the gospel with them. Yeah. So next time, I want to talk about the message of the gospel. What is it that we ought to be sharing with people anyways, right? Because it's not just actions, like I said in the beginning. Although the actions must be there. Because we don't want to be hypocrites. And ultimately, we want to preserve our own souls, Right? It's like Paul said, lest after preaching to, uh, to others, I don't want to be disqualified. And so he strived to beat his body into submission, and the same ought to be true with us. We want to be those who are not disqualified in the end, who actually follow and believe what we teach people. Right? And so we'll go over the message next time, next Sunday. Uh, of the gospel and get sort of more into the uh, nitty gritty of how we talk to people, and some more specific examples. All right? Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate your time. Let's, uh, let's pray, and we'll head out there. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, your people and the work that you're doing in your people. Lord, I pray that this this message would just be true of us, true of me and my own soul, that we would truly seek to be more and more conformed to the image of Christ, that we might be renewed in our minds and and have a, a good witness to the world, Lord. We want them to see Christ in us, not for our own glory, but for yours, that your name might be praised and made holy in this world. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen.